morning. You guys got your Bibles with you or your device? Go ahead and open them up. Um, we're going to land in a lot of different places, so I'm not going to give you the place we're going to start with, but just have your Bibles ready to, to be moving around because we're going to move around quite a bit. Um, this morning, we're talking about some pretty easy stuff, so I hope you're ready for it. Um, we're, we're talking about things like uh, why does God let bad things happen, right? It should be a pretty easy morning uh, for us as we're gathered here. Uh, you look around the world and you see there's a lot of things happening, <laughs> right? Um, you've got riots, you've got fires, you've got hurricanes, uh, the political season is, is upon us and so you have political back and forth in whatever you're watching and you look at the threads and people are hating one another uh, back and forth and depending on whatever your news source is, um, you get headlines, and those headlines are usually negative. Like, do you, you rarely get a positive headline that comes across your feed. Uh, a few of the headlines that I got this week are, uh, the first one here um, that you probably saw, police identify a man injured in downtown Omaha stabbing. This, this is a headline this week. Uh, apparently there's a fellow who got stabbed at a, at a Cubby's downtown in, in Omaha. In, in Lincoln, in, in the next one here, you have a man who was sentenced to life in prison Wednesday for, for brutal torture of another man and sexual assault uh, of a woman. It's happening in uh, Lincoln. as a headline this week. And we got another one from Lincoln as well. A Nebraska teacher was charged with sexual abuse. The sexual abuse was with a minor student that she was um, supposed to be educating. Um, and so she enters into a plea deal, sentenced to two years in, in prison. That's just here in our, in our own backyard. And then around the world, we've got hurricanes that are happening. Uh, we had one that just took place. We have another um, that has been building with uh, Lee. Um, we see trafficking. We see disease. We see hunger, uh, lack of clean water. We see tribalism uh, amongst our people. There is general distrust of people everywhere that you look. And, and so it feels like when you look around that we are just surrounded by, by suffering. Doesn't it? And that brings up a lot of really difficult questions for us. Maybe questions that you've asked yourself or you've had somebody else ask you like, hey, as a believer, how do you make sense of this kind of stuff? Big questions like, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? If God is good, why are there so many bad things that happen to people? If God is sovereign and he's in control, we say he's in control of things, is he really in control? Because at times it doesn't look like he's in control when we look around at our, at our world. And then why would a good God let bad, things to ha let bad things happen? And usually we attach to that one, why would, God, why would a good God let bad things happen to good people, right? And then we certainly have other questions that spawn out of those four that are really difficult for us to try to navigate and process through. They're hard questions. And I really think that those questions kind of get birthed out of a, out of a place of pain. I think there, there are people who are probably sitting around somewhere in their circles where they are thinking about looking for different reasons that they can, that they can reject God. Like, hey, how can we do that today? Or they're fighting with science and all this kind of stuff. And like, ah, how does this make sense? And, and just really trying to process, but looking for ways to reject God. But then on the other end, I really do think that there are some of us that, that we're just looking for a place, like, man, we have been hurt. There's things going on in our life. There's things going on around us. And we're looking for a place to hang our pain. Like, what, what do we do with all the suffering that we see or the stuff that we go through? And so at the same time, I think that we can look around 
and we see pain and we see suffering and we see people who are walking through grief and it's all around us. And, and we would say, man, something's broken. Something's not right. Something has fallen off track. This is not the way that things are supposed to go. Now, for us right now, we're in our Rooted series and we're asking big questions. We want, we want to know our faith better. We want to know God better. We want to know how do we fit in God's story and, and what does that look like and how do we grow up as mature believers in Christ? And so we're asking big questions like this. A couple of weeks ago, we asked, who is God? And we saw that God is Trinitarian. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And he cares. And then we asked the question, um, how does God speak to us? How do we talk? And we saw a different, few different ways that God talks to us and how we can communicate with him. And today, we're not dropping off of hard questions. We're still dealing with stuff that's foundational for us to understand if we want to grow up in Christ. And the question is, where is God in the midst of all this? In the, in the midst of suffering and pain and grief and all garbage that we go through, all the things where, where's God in, in the midst of this? Um, isn't that a tension that you feel? Uh, like, where, where is he? Because none of us in this room are immune to pain. We all experience things. We all go through things. We experience things that we would rather not go through. And when we do, the question sometimes pops up, where is God in this? We've got um, some dear friends uh, from our time in seminary down in Texas. Uh, beautiful family, great kids. Uh, they're pursuing Jesus, their kids are pursuing Jesus. Uh, two of them have already graduated college. There's a couple, couple more that are still in high school, uh, one's in junior high. Uh, just a fantastic family. Um, but while we were in Texas, um, this family found out that their, their youngest son had been born with a very rare um, birth disorder. And so for six years of his little life, their family was taking them in and out of, of the hospital for six years, hoping to try to make sure their son stays, to extend his life. And so he would have procedures, um, he would have tests run, stays that would be uh, extended in the hospital. And then after six years, um, his life finally uh, came to an end and he went to be with Jesus. Now, now think about that from a mom and dad's perspective. Um, some of y'all, y'all have lost children. You've lost people that are, are close to you, people that you love. And there's no pain like that, is there? there? There's no pain like losing somebody that you love. And there's certainly no pain. There's no pain like burying your own children. There's a sting of death that doesn't go away when something like that happens in, in your life. And, and of course, that, that sting for them, it hurt. Um, but it really dug in deep uh, to, to the dad in tremendous ways. Um, he started questioning God. This is a guy I was going to seminary with. He started questioning God. Um, he, he fought with God about his goodness. And he started asking all the questions, right? Like, why God? Why, like, why me? Why, why us? Why would you put us through this? Why would you allow something like that to happen? What, why, where were you when this was going down? Why didn't you stop this? And for him, he's like, I'm in ministry for heaven's sake. Like I am signed up to do what you've asked me to do. Like I want to do this for a living. I want to share about Jesus places, but you took my kid. Why, why, why wouldn't you keep me from that? And for a year, he and I would get together and we would drink coffee. Um, I would meet with him in his house and uh, he uh, actually, he pulled this mug off of his shelf 
this little uh, toasty mug um, that his, uh, one of his daughters had given him as, as a gift. Uh, and so whenever I'd go to his house, I'd, he'd give me this mug and he would fill it up. And then for an hour, two hours, three hours, sometimes we would just sit and we would talk. And I'd listen to him share about his grief. And I would listen to him process what he was feeling and watch him wrestle with God. And when people are walking through something like that, there's no answers that you can give that's gonna take away the sting of losing a child. There's no answer. I mean, there's, there's, there's answers, but there's no answers that are gonna take away the sting um, and help somebody that is fallen apart to be instantly put back together. There's a process to, to, to walk through. Sometimes it takes a while for what we believe in our head to make it down into our circumstance. Uh, one of the pastors that I used to listen to, um, he, he would say, um, it takes a while for our theology to begin to kick in when you're walking through difficult things. And for him, it was taking a while to get from his head down into his actual circumstance because it's different when it's somebody else. When it's you and it's happening into your life, when that grief lands in your lap, you're trying to figure out where do I hang this and what do I, what do, I do with this? And, and you may not have had a tragedy like that, like losing a son or losing a daughter or losing a kid. Um, maybe you've lost a family member or maybe you've lost a, a friend. Maybe you've had an injury in your life that has been very difficult for you to, to walk through. It just, um, it just is, it's just lingering and it doesn't let me uh, do the things that I wanna do. Like for me, I've got a back injury that I've been dealing with for a long time and there are times when it is bad and I'm just hitting the pillow like, God, why won't you take this away? And I still don't know what he's trying to do with it. Some of you all processing pain and stuff that's going on in your life and you're trying to figure out, God, why did you do this? Why is this still here? Why haven't you relieved this from me yet? Maybe you've got a child that's gone rogue and it's very difficult for you to process why God would allow them to do that. And you can't get control of the situation. Maybe you've been looking for a job and you can't get a job and you really want a job, but nobody will hire you. And you're thinking, well, the market is supposed to be ripe for hiring. Why can't I get a job? And so no matter how much you pray, it feels like nothing's happening. Not like maybe God stepped out of the office for a while, like out to lunch, I'll be back later. And so in your head, you start circling the track. Does God care? Is he good? Where was he when? Can I trust him? Like I study after study, you look at Barnard studies, you look at poll studies, you look at all these different things. There are a lot of reasons that people end up walking out of the church or why they leave the church or why they walk away from God or walk away from their faith. But there are two that usually work themselves up there somewhere towards the top. The first one is people feel like they've been hurt by somebody in the church. They feel like they've been let down maybe by the church. Um, they, the church didn't live up to their expectations. Somebody hurt them and so they end up walking away. The second one is what we're dealing with today is that people can't reconcile pain. They can't reconcile that there would be pain and suffering in their life or in somebody else's life while God is still sitting on the throne. Like how, how could a good God let suffering happen in somebody else's life, but particularly in, in my life? Why, why would he allow that to happen? Now, the truth is we don't always understand suffering and grief, right? We, we just don't, we don't understand pain. We, we have a tough time understanding and getting our minds around it. We don't always know why God would allow bad things to happen. We have a tough time understanding there can be suffering and pain and there can be grief happening at the same time God is still sitting on the throne. But unfortunately what happens is when people can't rationalize why God would allow something like that to happen, they end up walking away because they, 
because we can't understand it or we can't get our mind around it. And so instead of staying and working through the process, we just walk out on God. But, but here's something I think that we, that we should probably think about together. If God has, a, or what, what if God has a purpose in our pain? What if there's a reason that he allows us to go through things that we can't see? That's something beyond our understanding. What, what if when we look at our Bibles and we see the suffering servant in Isaiah and we understand that this is prophetic and it's pointing to Jesus and then we fast forward to the New Testament and we see Jesus hanging on the cross and going to pay the penalty of sin. What if when we see that and we see that God doesn't hold back suffering from his own son, what, what if when we look at that, we see that that's a window to somehow God's grander plan that we can see that there's something bigger that we can't understand. If he won't hold back suffering from himself, then maybe he'll allow us to walk through something because there's purpose in it. And we understand that there was purpose in Jesus and him going to the cross and his suffering. Maybe there's something that we can see and learn from for our own life. What if God will use pain and suffering in our lives in ways that we can't see in ways that we can't understand? C.S. Lewis, he, he, he struggled with this when his wife passed away. And it took a while for him to get what he understood about God around the loss of his wife. Uh, one, one of my friends, he was a great athlete, fantastic athlete, actually. He was a, the star of the show. He was the, the big personality that when he walked into any room, like he just lit up the room and people wanted to be around him and gravitate towards him. Uh, he was a handsome fellow. And so the girls always wanted to date him, that sort of thing. People loved being around him. You know people like that in your life? Yeah, you got people like that? He, he was one of those guys. Uh, after high school, he joined the army. And what often happens in the army, you, you taste freedom that you didn't necessarily have while you're in high school and under the, the care and wings of your parents. And you run off and you just kind of do whatever you want. He got caught up into drinking. Um, he was in a car with uh, three other of his friends who had also been drinking. They got in a wreck one night. The car rolled and flipped. He lived, um, but he ended up being a quadriplegic. Um, lost function of, of arms and legs, total function of arms and legs. Um, and he lived that life for, for 20 years. Someone shared the gospel with him while he was, uh, after his accident, while he was a quadriplegic, he trusted Jesus. His life changed. And because of his injury, what happens is he's able to go and speak to crowds of people in high schools. And he's able to go to conferences where he got to talk about Jesus. And he got to share what his experience was like. None of that would have happened without the injury in his life. He's now gone to be with Jesus as well. What if God sees things that we can't see in our pain? What if there's a bigger picture that we can't get our mind around? And he'll use that pain to do something that you can't understand. Because I, I want you to know that as believers... Like God's not going to keep us away from pain, okay? He's just not going to. We're, we're not immune to suffering. We're not immune to pain. And if we expect a life of ease and we expect a life where, where nothing is ever going to happen to us, if we buy into this prosperity gospel kind of stuff where your life just keeps getting better and you get all these things, there's no pain, there's money, all that stuff. Like if that's what we feel about our faith, we are going to be sorely disappointed with our relationship with God. Because that is not what he has for us. And that is not what he teaches us in scripture. That is not what he communicates to us through his word, through the prophets, through brothers and sisters around us. That is not a word from the Lord. He actually tells us opposite. When we look at our Bibles, we have passages like John 16, 
says, I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He lets the disciples know, and through the disciples, he lets us know that in this life, you will have trouble. And if you try to live without trouble, you're going to be sorely disappointed when it encounters your life. And you're going to be somebody who's willing to walk away from the faith because you expected an easy coasting ride all the way through. It also says in James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It says, you're going to meet trials of various kinds. It's going to happen in your life. And count it all joy when it happens. What do you mean count it all joy? Am I supposed to be happy when this kind of stuff happens? No, no. But it's producing something in you that you did not have before that suffering tribulation hits your life. What is it doing? It's producing steadfastness. It's having its full effect that you might be lacking in nothing. You're growing up in your faith as you trust the Lord in the midst of suffering. Count it all joy. He says it's Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, will be persecuted. It's like if you want to live a godly life, this is coming. You're going to be persecuted. Well, awesome. Thanks. It's great. Sign me up. But when we encounter these things, there are people who are steadfast in Christ and there are people who walk away because they expect an easy ride. And Paul says in Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It seems that there's an end to our suffering. There's a timestamp that God puts on our suffering. That one day there's gonna be a day where we're not dealing with all this stuff. There's no more pain, no more tears, no more heartache. Uh, we learn about that from John in Revelation. Paul talks about that throughout his writings. And we have plenty of evidence that in this world, things have broken down, okay? And they're not as they should be. Now, theologically, when we're trying to get our hands around this or get our mind around this, we've got to talk about some things that, that get a little bit confusing, okay? So things like original sin, things like inherited sin, Words like total depravity. Uh, do those words ring a bell for anybody in the room? I mean, just throw a hand up if, if those are familiar to you at all. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not too, too common, right? Um, do those words excite anybody in the room? <laughs> no, not, not so much, right? Um, uh, I was telling Ashley yesterday, I was like, hey, we're gonna be talking about these, a few of that, I threw these words out. She's like, oh no. She's like, don't take us to school. Like, please don't, please don't do that. But, but here, here's the deal. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna feel like we're going out in the weeds for just a minute um, as we talk about a few of these things because I think it's crucial for us in the midst of this conversation that we're in right now for us to understand some of these words. Where is God? Why do bad things happen? Well, here, here we go. So, so in the garden, okay, let's take it all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. Things are perfect. They mess up. They disobey God. They believe the lie that, that God was holding back something from them, that, that there was something that, that, uh, that God wasn't giving there. He was holding out on them and they buy that lie. They buy the deception and they, uh, they question God's goodness uh, that, he, that he would do something like that. And so they eat fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. It doesn't matter what kind of fruit it was. It doesn't matter if it came from, from Hy-Vee or from No Frills or Family Fair or what. Like, it doesn't matter what the fruit, like, we, like what kind of fruit was that on the tree? It doesn't matter. What matters is that God said, don't touch that one. 
Don't, don't, or he said, don't eat of that tree. And Satan starts playing in their mind and, and they buy into it and they, uh, they eat it. And so Genesis 3 walks us into what the fall of man looks like, right? In Genesis 3, you see sin enter into the world. We call that sin original sin for, for obvious purposes because it's the first. It was the original. It was the OG sin. It's the one that entered in. And, and that sin effect, affected everything. The Apostle Paul gives us a better understanding of what actually happened uh, spiritually there in Romans chapter 5. Write Romans chapter 5 down because we're, we're only going to read a verse here. But there's so much more in this verse like, or in this chapter. So go home, read it. Read chapter 6 too that along with it. It is phenomenal. Okay, Actually, read all of Romans. Um, the, the whole, if, I, if I could have one book, if, I'd have, if I could have two, I'd take Romans and I'd take Galatians. And I would be good to go with those. Um, but Romans 5 is phenomenal. But here's a passage out of Romans. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. I'm just gonna highlight the, the end of verse 12 there because there's significant theology that's happening. This is original sin that happens in the garden. It gets passed down to anybody who comes after them because we share in the same family. We share in the same bloodline. That's called inherited sin. So original sin of Adam and Eve, because we're all born from Adam and Eve, we share in the bloodline, we inherit their sin. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, right? Some people inherit estates and houses and money and cars and guns and all that kind of stuff. We inherit sin. Thank you. But the truth is in Christ, you also inherit righteousness if you trust Christ. So you get all the, heaven, you get all the treasures of heaven in Christ. You get him. But we inherit this, this sin. There's uh, a thought that goes around that everybody who's born is born, a clean, born with a clean slate. You know, you, you come in and, and everything's fresh and clean. The world is your oyster and you get to make all the decisions. And like you're starting fresh. And the idea is you're clean. Now, it doesn't take long to realize that's a farce. Because if you've got children, you watch them grow up. And you don't teach them how to hit anybody. You don't teach them how to bite people. You don't teach them how to lie. But what do they do? They hit, they bite, and they lie. They hide stuff. They don't see that from you, mom and dad, right? Don't think. Like, I, I remember, like, there were times when, when Adeline and Anderson were so little, like twos and fours, something like that, and one would just walk up and push the other over or hit them in the back. And, like, and, like they didn't even see it coming. I'm like, we didn't teach you that. You didn't see me do that to Ashley. You didn't see her, her do that to me. How did you do that? It's because they weren't a clean slate. It was programmed into them from day one. They had inherited sin in their, in their lives. So nobody's actually born with a clean slate. We all come in and we're touched by the effect of sin uh, on this world and in uh, humanity. And it's a big deal because sin affects everything. Everything got broken. People were broken. The world became broken. And even our desire to want to do the right things became broken. So we have original sin that's been inherited by us as we live. And then you have something called total depravity. Total depravity doesn't mean that we're all evil all the time. It means that sin has touched every part of our lives. Every single part of our lives. Here's what Paul says about it in Romans chapter 3. Just a taste of it. And again, Romans 3 is awesome. Okay? It's awesome. Read Romans, but here's what Paul says in Romans 3. As it is written, 
None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And if you're looking in your Bible at Romans 3, you can continue to read on. It doesn't get any better. It actually just keeps getting worse. And we see that man without God is falling apart. And so uh, the words are strong, but they remind us that everything that we see and things that we can't see, it's been touched by sin. We're not as evil as we could be. We're not as bad as we could be. But without Christ, this is the reality of our lives. And this is what happens in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Sin breaks everything. It makes sense then when we read Genesis chapter 4 that you have a brother taking out a brother. You know, who's getting angry at the other one or jealous of the other and he murders him. How does Genesis 4 happen if Genesis 3 doesn't happen? Sin is now in the world. And it makes sense to us when we read Genesis chapter 6. We read that God looks around and then he saw that the intention of the heart of man was only bent towards evil always, all the time. This was how man was living. And so when we get to Genesis 7, 8, and 9, it's no surprise to us that God was ready to wipe out everybody through a flood. Because the intention of everyone's, how did you get to that? Because men continue to inherit the sin through, through the bloodline. Okay, so when we start asking questions like, where is God? Why do bad things happen? We can't go into the question without having any context. This is the context that we roll into the question with. And so biblically and theologically, we know that God is good and that God created a good earth, that God created a good people. When he created, he said that all of this is good. But when sin comes in from an outside source through Satan, the system breaks down. And now things and people die. Now bad things that we wish didn't happen, happen. You're burying dogs in the backyard and your children are bawling their eyes out. People are gunning each other down in the streets. Wars, trafficking, sexual confusion, hatred. This, this is what's happening because of what happens in Genesis 3. It's all happening because sin came into the world and it broke down God's good design. And if we start looking around and pointing the finger at God and saying, what did you do? Or where were you when? Why did you? It's only a symptom of us not understanding where suffering and grief and pain, where it originates from and come from him. It comes from Genesis 3. And there can be suffering and there can be pain while God is still sitting on the throne. And it's hard for us to put those two things together. There can be suffering and pain in our lives. And yet God is still sitting on the throne. And for us, um, just like my friend, sometimes it takes a minute for our hearts to catch up with that. Um, to catch up with the truth when the trauma and the grief is happening in our life. Um, or when we look and it's sitting somewhere around us. But here's the deal. If we don't nail this down before we find ourselves in the midst of some type of tragedy, or we find ourselves in the midst uh, of intense pain and in suffering, we might end up being one of those who walk away from the church and walk out on God because it's really hard for us to build our theology, um, our theology of suffering and our theology of God while we're in the middle of our pain. It can happen, but it's a lot easier to build it 
before you end up in the midst of that. And so in our hardships, which are going to come in our life, here's what God promises us through his word. Look at Isaiah 41. Don't fear and don't be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right arm. (laughs) It's pretty good. What about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11? He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. He says, come to me who are all worn out and beat down and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And of course, in the theological context, Jesus was calling people out of the, the law and bringing them into the, the law of grace or the freedom of grace. Come to me in a relationship with me and you're gonna have peace and you're gonna have rest. And so rest will only be found in Jesus. It's not gonna be found anywhere else. And so he offers that to you and he offers that to us. But in the context of pain and suffering and grief that you go through, this is, still, this is still the place to go, to take his burden upon us and not to carry our own, to lay it down at his feet. And he gives us rest. Look at Psalm 147. Here, here, here's what is said. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. These are, these are words of scripture that are meant for you today in the midst of your thing. Whatever that suffering is, whatever that grief is, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You got wounds? Is your heart broken? Has your heart been broken? Things that you're still carrying, things that you're suffering with? He says, he heals up the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And here's probably one of my favorite go-to verses when I'm sitting with somebody who's just working through some really deep things. And maybe you've heard it from me. It's from David in Psalm 34. He says, he's close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Because a lot of times we're sitting in the midst of our pain and our grief in the midst of our loss and we're walking and somebody's walked away or somebody has passed away or you're dealing with some hurt in, in your life and, and you wanna know where is God in the midst of this? And David, he cries out to God and, and, and he says, he's close to those who are brokenhearted. He's right there. And, and if we understand, again, um, the whole idea of, of the Trinity and we understand how God speaks to us, remember he puts his spirit inside of us. And so if you're walking with Christ, he's never away from you. He's close to those who are brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in, in spirit. And then we ask questions like, where is God? He's right there. And here's what David says in Psalm 56. So you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all of my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Something that I read this week uh, in the Rooted material, and those of you who are going to be going through uh, the Rooted series, there's an amazing um, illustration or or amazing um, history point that I wasn't aware of. Um, There's something uh, that happened in the ancient times. There were these little bottles uh, called lacrimatories. Anybody familiar with those? Lacrimatories? I never, never heard of this before. After I read about it, then I began like, oh, I think I've seen movies where they've kind of copied this kind of a deal. But lacrimatories um, were these little uh, jar, these little created jars, and they looked different. This is just one that I found online. Um, but people would string those around their, their neck when they were mourning for somebody 
or when their husband um, was apart from them and they were heading off to war or some type of journey. And so while they were away or when they lost somebody, they would, when they cried, they would try to catch their tears in the lacrimatory, inside the bottle. And so when that person who left came back, they would be able to say, these are the tears that I cried for you. And they would understand that, that person loved me and cared enough about me while I was away that they would save their tears spoke volumes to people. And so when David writes, you have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. What he's doing is he's creating this beautiful picture of the love and the care that God has for his people. That he is, while you grieve, he is grieving with you. While you suffer, he's entering into that with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten about us. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're experiencing. The Bible actually tells us, it talks more about God's care and comfort for us than it does about taking us out of the circumstance that we're in. You get that? How does God care for us and love us in the midst of things more than it does about removing us from our current circumstance? And doesn't that leave us in a place of hope, right? That, that, that we don't have to be in despair because we know that God is there. Knowing that he's not gonna try to keep us away from everything and try to fix everything and every problem right now, he's never promised that. He's never promised that we won't go through storms or that we won't go through trials or that we won't go through fires. But what he's promised us through his word is that while we go through those things, he's right there in the middle of it with us. But the only way to have that is through Jesus. Again, you can't have that peace. You can't have that hope without him. The world that was broken, the sin that came in, our own individual sin, God sent Jesus to die for it so that you wouldn't have to. He sent Jesus to take the penalty for it. And so without him, all we see in the world that we're living in right now, we see things falling apart. We see evil that doesn't make sense to us. A God that feels like he's out of control if we don't have Jesus. I love that Tim talked about Daniel um, just a few minutes ago. And Daniel chapter three is one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. Um, you have these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're being forced to bow down to this King Nebuchadnezzar um, and to an idol that is against their faith in God, Right? And so in the book, we see this balance of um, God being on the throne, yet his care for them while they're going through hard things. And so they are not shy about what they're planning to do. They're not going to bow down to this king. And so King Nebuchadnezzar gets mad and he threatens to burn these men alive. And, and here's, here's the scripture from chapter three. says, but if you don't worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> He's questioning God here. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, To the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, we know that our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And, we will, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. 
what these men say. They say, we know that God can stop the trouble that we're in. We know that he can relieve the pressure that we're in. But if he chooses not to, he's no less God. He can do it, but it doesn't have to. And so they get thrown into the fire and they get to see, they get to see Jesus show up in the fire with them or who we presume, presume to be Jesus in the fire. And had that storm, that trial, that fire not come into their life, they would not have experienced what they experienced. They did not burn. They did not smell like smoke. They got to experience God in the midst of the fire, not keeping them from it, but in the midst of it with them. You may have come in hopeless this morning. Just feel like my situation's got no, no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm done. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm actually might be ready to th throw in the towel on God and the church. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen. I want you to write that stuff out. I want you to write out a prayer to the Lord. And don't hold back. Lord, I, I feel hopeless. Lord, I feel frustrated. I feel angry. The situation that I'm in, this is the thing. Write out that prayer. Let God hear it. He can handle the thing that you're going through. He can handle the frustration. And, and, and if you, you feel like you're not in the midst of a trial right now, write out a prayer thanking God. Like, thank you, God, that I'm not in the midst of something right now. If you've been through the fire and you felt God's hand walk you through that, write a prayer. Thank you, God, that you did not leave me alone and that you led me out of that place. Ask for hope. Ask for hope. Pray for hope. And know that God is in the middle of it with you. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, here we are gathered together, opening up your word and we want to hear from you. And hopefully we did, Lord. I pray um, that you would take difficult things that feel like they're up in the air with our theology and our understanding of original sin, inheritance, sin, total depravity, all that thing. And that you would bring this down to our heart level. Father, that um, the things that we go through aren't because you've left us. Um, they're happening because we're in a broken world that's waiting to be redeemed by you. And you said that you're going to. Jesus has ultimately brought healing and hope to us as believers. One day you're gonna, you're gonna fix the world and you're gonna fully and completely redeem us. And so, Father, uh, we look forward to that day. But while we're here and we're living in the midst of this stuff, let us not lose hope. Let us not lose sight. You're still in control and you're still on the throne. Let us look back on the ways that you've carried us in the past and trust that you're gonna walk us forward. Give us hope, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.